All right. Very nice. Very nice. Good to see you all today. <laughs> Excellent. How's everybody doing today? Good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you. I'm Pastor Michael. If you don't know who I am, that makes you a guest, right? So a special welcome to you from all of Summit Church. Um, how many of you are here this morning because you're traveling on vacation or something? Anybody? Wow, quite a number of you. So anybody want to tell us where you might be from? Where are you guys from? Florida. Florida. Wow. Did you drive all that way? Yeah. Wow. Look at you. Welcome. 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 And if it feels cold in here, then just celebrate for these guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Where, somebody over here. Austin, Texas. Yeah, you like a little cool too, don't you? Huh? All right. Welcome to the high country. It's great. Saw somebody over here. Well, yeah, you guys. Hey, welcome. We get to see you all the time. So welcome, Scott. Good to see you guys. Yeah. Where are you? Ark? Oh, yeah, sister. Sister. All right. Garrick's sister's here today. Awesome. So that's good. Did I miss somebody? All right, so all these people came from hot places. Keep that in mind, yeah. All right, who we got? Michigan, Michigan. okay. Yeah, welcome from Michigan. Wait a minute, that's all that blue and gold stuff, right? <laughs> I don't know about that. So even Michigan's uh, pretty tough this time of year. But in Loveland this week, I did see 102 on my temperature gauge. Oh, my goodness. Send that stuff down south or somewhere. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny to me because winter just drug on this year, and now we get to this point and everybody's saying, I'm ready for winter again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, good for that you. Somebody said, no way. <laughs> I heard that. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so, hey, we are in a study of the Gospel of John. It's called Beloved. And uh, today, uh, the, good, the good shepherd, the good Shepherd John chapter 10, so you can turn there in your Bibles. Now, we are going to stop our study of John at this point because through a series of God's leading, the next four weeks, the month of July, dedicated to learning to hear the voice of God. Okay, so I think you're going to enjoy this series, benefit. It's supported right here we, where we are today. I'm not actually reading that verse today, but in this text of John 10, that Jesus' sheep know his voice. Huge confirmation here today. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at the seven I am statements of Jesus. They are all right here in the Gospel of John. And we saw how by Jesus' use of the words, I am, make no mistake about it, he was intentional to declare himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all one and the same, equal. Very, very important right here. In fact, today's text actually includes one of Jesus' most precise statements. It's in verse 30 where Jesus says, I and the Father are one. He wants to be very clear here. So in John 10 this morning, we see two of Jesus' I am statements, statements three and four. And the reason he goes here is articulated in verse 10, halfway through the verse, and this is also crucial today, where Jesus says this, I have come that they may have life and have it 
to the full. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Does anybody believe that this morning? All right. Yes, that was a little weak. Does anybody believe that this morning? (laughs) Yeah, life to the full. So the verse actually begins by by talking about a thief, a thief who comes to, to steal, to kill, and destroy. Friends, in our fallen world, this is what's going on. And, and if you want life to make sense, you've got to start right here that there is a very real thief who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And because of our choice uh, as humans to, to live for our flesh rather than to live for the Spirit, we are living under a curse. But Jesus Christ is the curse breaker. Yes, that's what this is all about here. So the first I am statement is in relation, to, in relation to a sheep pen, and what it represents is a safe place, okay? This might be a cave, this might be a shed, or, or a fenced-in area that was used mostly at night to protect the sheep against predators or whatever threat might come along. Verse 7, Jesus says, related to the sheep pen, he says, very truly I tell you, I am the gate, for the sheep. Verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from this judgment we've been talking about. Will be saved. They will come in and go out. Now, don't make a mistake there. Come in and go out. It has no, nothing to do with coming in and out of your relationship with God. Okay, this is about a life of liberty that allows us to move freely with God throughout life, okay? But we know where our secure place lies. And he says, they will come in and go out, and there they will find pasture. So this shepherd literally would, would sleep at the entrance of this pen. What does that mean? It means the shepherd was the gate. He ensured that nothing got in or got out without his knowledge. And I need you to notice that Jesus says, doesn't call himself a gate, okay? He calls himself the gate. This, there's no definite articles here, but the expression is intentional. A definite article that says, Jesus is uniquely the gate, There's no other gate, and if you resent that today, there's no apologies here because we can't take away from what Jesus said and what Jesus intended to say. And it's really important that we remember who he's talking to here. He's talking to religious leaders who just a few verses earlier were saying, so what, are you saying we're just as blind as that blind guy you healed? And what Jesus says, the reason he's saying this is he wants them to know that I don't care how educated or how religious you might be, we all come into the kingdom the same way. And that way is through the gate. Okay? Now, I grew up in an environment where where Mary was worshipped. Okay? But I'm telling you, Mary came through the gate of Jesus Christ the same way that everybody else has to. And so the, the invitation here is to recognize the state of this fallen world, recognize that God has made a way to real life. Jesus Christ, and this pen also represents the kingdom of God, 
if you want assurance to life, life eternal and eternal hope, I mean, go ahead. If all you're going to live for is this place, uh, more power to you, okay? But there's not a whole lot here that I find worth going after, okay? But I live, we, many of us here live because we believe that there's a better day ahead. There is freedom from this judgment state that we are currently living under, and we are anticipating the day, the glorious day of Jesus' return. Anybody anticipating the day of Jesus' return? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And oftentimes when pastors teach on Jesus the good shepherd, they like to talk about how dumb the sheep are, okay? But, but, but yeah, and that's good. There's, there's good stuff to glean from all that. But please notice the emphasis in this passage isn't on dumb sheep. The emphasis in this pas- passage is on a loving shepherd, okay? So the very first point here that we want to see is that Jesus is the good shepherd. Okay, now you want to know how dumb are the sheep, so let's just talk about that. <laughs> Might as well, and, and as we do that, just pinch yourself, okay? Yep, yep, I'm one of those <laughs> right there with you. Got it. So sheep are, are so dumb that if you place them in a pasture, they will literally deplete that pasture of all of its grass and never leave, even though there's a perfectly good pasture right next door, okay? In in fact, they'll stay there and resort to eating one another's excrement, excrement until they finally die, all right? They're too dumb to say, hey, there's good grass over there. Let's go over there. They need a shepherd to lead them to good grass. How dumb are sheep? Well, they're so dumb that if one is prone to wander, anybody prone to wander? I I like that old song, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Well, they're they're so dumb that the shepherd will literally have to break a, a, a wandering sheep's legs and then carry it on his shoulders for a while until it heals. And you can be sure that sheep will never leave the side of the shepherd again. Why? Don't want to go through that anymore right? That's what it's all about. And so I I think of this, and I have to go back to Jacob in the Old Testament. And and you might remember the story of Jacob's ladder. Maybe you sang about this. But Jacob literally found himself in a wrestling match with God. Has anybody ever wrestled with God? Yeah, how'd you come out? Yeah, Jacob didn't come out too well. In fact, he would spend the rest of his life with a limp. Okay? And someone well said that God will never fully be able to use us until at last we have a limp in our step. Because what it's coming to is the end of ourselves in order to come to the place of the fullness of him. But I have to say, that expression that I just shared, I hate it. I don't like that very, very well. But the truth is that blessing is at his side, and whatever it takes to get us to stay by his side, it is worth it. It is so worth it. Okay, so we're homing in on these words, Jesus' words. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. There are going to be those moments when we are going to wonder what else there is. What is out there that we might potentially be missing out on? It goes clear back to the original sin and original temptation that maybe a life with God is causing us to miss out on some stuff. Sometimes these these challenges are, are easy to overcome. Sometimes they're difficult to overcome. But we need to recognize 
there's nothing this side of the kingdom worth grabbing a hold of. And we need to be constantly reminded of Jesus' words, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In, in another place, the Bible says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is, is death. I hate that passage. It's a terrible passage, right? But it's true. It's true. When we get curious about the stuff of this world, and we would literally walk away from God's best in order to find out what it is we might be missing out on, we need to stop and remember, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. A proud father of a teenager wanted me to know something that his, his, uh, his teenage daughter had done. She was walking around the house, chattering on the telephone, and uh, she came by him. He was downstairs in the basement, and, uh, and she covered the mouthpiece, and she was like, Dad, Dad, say no. And, and Dad's like, uh, so I need to kind of know what I'm saying no to. No, Dad you got to trust me on this. Say no. Okay, no. And so she goes on, chattering on the phone, walks back upstairs. And then a little while later, she wanders back downstairs and sits on the couch right near her dad. And, and uh, he's curious, you know. He says, babe, what was that all about? And she said, well, that was a friend inviting me to this party that I knew I had no business going to. I didn't have the courage to say no myself. Thanks, Dad, for saying no for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's the way it works. Everything the good shepherd does, he does for the good of the sheep. There is a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Well, let's go on to verse 11. Jesus emphasizes, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is, is, is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They, too, will listen to my voice. Right there, affirmation for we're going the next few weeks. These other sheep know his voice, too. And earlier it said, my sheep know my voice. Right here. But these other sheep listen to my voice also, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Okay, so uh, he's the good shepherd, first thing. But secondly, he's also the owner. Verse 14, look at it. The owner as opposed to what? As opposed to a hired hand. And a hired hand is only interested in self-preservation. I mean, he'll be there for the sheep as long as it's good for him. But the moment there's some kind of threat, you can forget it. He's out of there. Not Jesus. He's got too much invested in you. He owns the sheep. They are his. So when Christ sees us, his followers, when he sees you, his follower, me, his follower, he sees what belongs to him. So that when that wolf comes and tries to carry you off and destroy you, he stands right there in the gap. 
That's our Savior, Jesus Christ. This isn't about some random difficulty in life, though you can be sure he will be with you there as well. But this is about a great enemy of the soul that wants to destroy you. And Jesus wants you to know that even if that wolf comes with snarling with blood in his teeth, Jesus will not budge. So what does he do? Well, that's the third thing. Jesus will lay down his life for you. Verse 11. See, he wants us to know that we are secure in him. He's saying, I have got this under control. That old enemy, he might think he's got something here, but he's got nothing. I'll break his teeth. I'll smash his face. And Jesus isn't saying you're not going to have difficulty in this world, but what he wants you to know is your security, your eternal security is in him. You keep your hope. You keep your trust in Jesus. And you know what he's really talking about? Ultimately, he's talking about what he did for us on the cross. And it really works like this. Jesus lived the perfect life. A death, a, a life that you and I could not live. Yet the one who lived the perfect life was willing to take your sin and my sin upon himself and own our sin as if it was as if it were his own. Literally saying, you did it, but I'm claiming that it's on me. And he took it to the cross where through all of that beating and suffering, he bore the full weight of the penalty that you and I deserved so that he could declare us not guilty. And then he expressed it in, the, in that judiciary phrase when he said, it is finished. A finished work. The finished work of Christ. Incredible. Incredible to think about. Jesus laid down his life in order to give us life, life to the full. He even goes so far as to say, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. There's a wolf, sin, death, the devil. The wolf no longer has a hold on you. Teeth have been knocked out. The worst he can do is try to gum you, but there will be <laughs> no effect. Yeah. Has anybody ever been to India in here? I, I thought that Dick would surely say he's been to India. This guy, follow him around, you'll see the world. Yeah, I've never been to India. Have you ever seen a snake charmer? Alive, okay. I mean, there's a career that Michael Descoli would never want. In fact, there's two careers that Michael Descoli would never want. The first, I would never want to be a, a, a truck driver. <laughs> and, and you've got to believe me, our world is a whole lot better off with Michael Descoli sticking to small things, okay? <laughs> you don't want me in a big old truck. But the second reason, the second thing is I would never want to be a snake charmer. I would never want to be a snake charmer because, honestly, I cannot sit cross-legged on the floor. You'd have to prop me up. I mean... It's a problem for me, okay? I'd be laying on my side, yeah. And even if I could, I wouldn't want to be a snake charmer because the last thing I'd want to do is have a creature with, with venom and fangs coming out of a basket that's stuck right between my legs. No, thank you. Doesn't appeal to me. Two things I would never want to be. Well, 
I came across this article recently that claimed that, that snake charming is actually an endangered profession. Evidently, yeah, evidently animal rights groups are, have become a real problem. And the authentic uh, snake charmers, they're, they're a little bit bothered by this negative press because honestly, they are good to their snakes, okay? But there are those phonies that are undermining the profession because they are known to break the, the teeth out of their snakes' mouths or to sew or glue their mouths shut. Now, if you feel sorry for those creatures, you are a whole lot more compassionate than I am. <laughs> okay? But I think we could agree there's one creature that none of us should ever feel sorry for because by Jesus' death and resurrection, he has knocked the teeth out of sin, death, and the devil. Is anybody glad about that? Yeah. His mouth has been sewn shut, and we no longer need to fear him. Yeah. All right, now this last thing I'm really excited about. Jesus has sheep of another fold. Verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. It's important here that we keep in mind that the audience that Jesus is speaking to is pretty much all Jewish right here. The Jews of the first century had forgotten that God had called them to the unique position of being the hope of the world. Instead of being the hope for the world, they were simply believing that the Messiah would come and give them military dominance. But that's not why Jesus came. So when Jesus failed to deliver on their anticipation, they just assumed he'd be killed because they missed out on God's plan right here. Through the Jews, the Messiah, the hope of the world would come. He would suffer and die for your sins and, and my sins in order to bring us back to God's blessing. That's the place I want to live. I want to live in God's blessing. Jesus has, has made a way. But Jesus' kingdom and his flock would be composed of men and women from every tribe, every tongue, every nation of the world, so that it would become a colorful, beautiful melting pot of humanity. And unless you happen to be Jewish, when Jesus talks about sheep of another pen, he's talking about you and he's talking about me. He came to save all of us that were once lost, not just Jews, but every nation of the world. Now watch this. One of the most awesome things happening in our world today is what's going on in the Middle East. It's absolutely amazing. Sometimes referred to as being the 1040 window. It's interesting. This is the most impoverished, the poorest, and the most unreached parts of the entire world. It's a place where Christians suffer most for the faith, yet it's the place where people are coming to faith and coming into the kingdom like never before in history. And this is fulfillment of prophecy, okay? Jesus in Matthew 24 talks about what we should look for as the end approaches when he says this, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Several decades back, there was a cultural revolution in, in China. Every Christian missionary ordered out 
Christian orphanage shut down. Christian schools shut down. Seminaries that were equipping pastors were closed forever. Any Christian ministry that was there to support Christian work closed, wrapped up. Yet an amazing thing is happening because the underground church in China has exploded. Unbelievable. The underground church is sending tens of thousands of missionaries all over communist China, even into North Korea, places where it's against the law to preach the gospel. And it keeps getting better. It keeps getting better. The gospel is moving from the east to the west as the underground church is reaching people in Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, Jordan, and anybody want to guess what's coming next? Israel. What direction is Jesus coming? From the east to the west. The gospel is moving from the east. It's heading west right toward Israel. All right, I brought a picture of the Temple Mount, and we just need you to imagine for a moment that we are standing there on the Mount of Olives, and uh, here we are. We're seeing this view, the very direction uh, from which Jesus is going to come. This is, we're, we're kind of following his path here as we look toward this gate. He's going to enter the temple through this gate, okay? Now, there appears to be a little bit of a problem here. There are no gates there. It's all been blocked in. That was done by Muslims in an attempt to keep the prophecy from being fulfilled. Does anybody here think this is going to do any good when Jesus comes? We're all in agreement then. So when we sing this little song, Jesus loves the little children, all the little children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the children, little children of the world. God really means this. The gospel is being preached to places that we have never imagined. Jesus Christ is coming soon. Are you ready? Are you ready? The good shepherd, he didn't die for those who might be saved. He died for those who would be saved. And he died for you. And there are three ways, at least, that you could respond to this message of the kingdom this morning. First, you can say, I hear what you're saying about Jesus being the good shepherd, but I'm here to tell you, not me, no way, never. And even if you could prove it to me and show me every detail is, is true, there's no way that I'm coming around. And friend, I'm not here to argue with you, but I want you to hear what Father God says. Come now and let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. So God's giving you a gift today. He's offering you a gift. You can reject it. That's your choice. Secondly, you can say, well, of course he loves me. Of course he forgives me. Of course, he's there for me. And if that's where you're standing, there might be two potential reasons for this. You might be saying, of course, he loves me. And what you're doing is you're looking around and you're comparing yourself to other people. And you're saying, just look around at how bad people are. There's no way that I'm that bad. No, nope, not, not me. No, no way. I mean, in comparison to them, I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good father. I'm a pretty good dad. I'm a pretty good citizen. I was a soldier, right? I, I did my part. I'm okay. And this is what God says to that. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Yeah, or you might say, of course he loves me. 
You know who I am? I grew up going to church. Why? I know all the songs. I learned a whole bunch. I went to Oana, and man, did I pile on the scriptures. I can sing you all the songs. And you know what God says to that? This is eternal life, that they may know you. He's talking about a relationship. Knowing God, being known by God, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, whom he has sent. Third, you can say, well, today I want to know him. I want to surrender my life to him. Because what you're hearing today is that it's not about who you are or what you are. It's not about what you know, but it's about who you know. And this morning, the question is being put on your lap. Can you honestly say you know him? Can you honestly say that he knows you? In fact, here's a good, good test this morning. When you hear these words, Jesus is the good shepherd. The shepherd of the sheep. What does it do inside of you? Does it do anything to know that he's the good shepherd, the, the one who laid down his life for you? Does it do anything? Because what it's meant to do, honestly, is inspire worship in our hearts, gratitude. The Lord is my shepherd. And today he wants to be your shepherd. What does it inspire? Worship or something else. Because to know him inspires a heart of worship. I am the good shepherd. And so today you might be saying, well, how do I, how do I come into a relationship with him? Well, you've got to believe in his name. Believing in his name means recognizing who he is. When you recognize who he is, it's suddenly to say, if he is who he says he is, and if he is who he is, then that changes everything. And what it says is, man, I see today that I've been going my way. I've been doing my life my, life my way with little consideration of the good shepherd and his plan for my life. But today, I want to turn around from doing life my way to surrendering to him and doing life his way. Friends, there really is a thief who came to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But Jesus is saying to anyone who will hear and believe, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full. Here's call. Here's call. Come, let's pray. I don't profess to be um, anything special, just a man. And my hope is that rather than hearing me or being impressed with anything I've said today, that God has spoken to you. And because I, I so believe that, um, I have no idea what the Spirit has said to you. And that's why we have these two questions we ask every Sunday, what is it that God is saying to you even at this moment? And how will you respond? Together we can look at him and say, thank you, Lord. We see you really are the good shepherd. And we see that there are all sorts of things that would knock us off course of your plan for our lives. We worship you. You, Lord, we worship you. 
the good shepherd, the one who truly came to give life, life to the full. Be glorified. Do your work. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are even now. Thank you, Lord.